Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Hey, we'll be continuing our series in James today, but today we have a guest speaker. His name is Pastor Hal Thornton. Before we go into our message today, I think it's important for us to stop and have a prayer for what is taking place in the Ukraine and what is taking place in the greater European section of this world. We need to remember that the Ukraine is struggling for its very existence these days, for the very presence of democracy in that nation. We need to pray for them and for the Christians who have an especially difficult ministry in trying times, keeping their own lives together and caring for their neighbors as Jesus would want them to do. I don't know about you, but I grew up in the shadow of World War II. We remembered the days when men and women went overseas uh, to defend democracy around the world. We were taught that it is a great and precious tradition uh, that is a part of our nation. It is a great and precious tradition that can grow in this world, and we need to foster it and support it. And that's what has blessed the European continent in the days following World War II, where democracy, the, the dignity of every citizen has been honored. That is the genius of democracy, and that is what the Ukraine has known for all these years since it was liberated from the Soviet Union. So let us pray now for those people and for their leaders and for the Prince of Peace to come and bring an end to hostilities. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, uh, we are grateful that we can come to you in trying times. We can come to you with situations are very hard we pray for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine that you might give them uh, strength for their days. You might give them protection against this invasion and for the minimization of the loss of life on both sides, the Ukrainians and the Russians. May peace be that which eventually comes to that land. May democracy be that which continues in that land, and may it come soon. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, the Prince of Peace. Amen and amen. It's interesting, uh, this day, uh, I don't really often, Ashley brought with her a little buddy, and so she said, I want you to take care of that fly. And I said, Ashley, what do you want me to do with that fly? She said, um, nothing was done with the fly. And so if you see me swatting, I'm not waving at you. I'm just trying to keep the creature at bay. 
when I looked at the passage that Brother Ken had left for me to preach on this week, I said, Brother Ken, I'm going to get you when you come back. Because this passage is one of these kind of passages for which there doesn't appear to be an immediate context. There isn't somebody who you can name as bad. There isn't somebody you can name as good. There isn't a whole lot of personal sort of landing pattern. So you have to work this passage within light of the whole book. Because, you know, the principle of biblical interpretation is the Bible interprets the Bible. And so as I looked at this, I went to my commentaries, I went to the original languages, I went and did all the work that I paid a whole lot of money for long ago and far away in seminary to be able to do. And I've tried to come with a way of looking at this passage uh, that makes it work for us. And like I said, we were blessed with this provision from the Windsor of what's known as a whiteboard. Now, <clears throat> being a child of the 50s and doing my schooling in those days, uh, went to, I went to schools that were in the tradition of the blackboard. Do you remember the blackboard? Okay, and you remember the chalk the teacher would get and one of the privileges she would give some of the good students, my brother, you got it now. Uh, so one of the privileges you would have is washing the blackboard for the teacher. Only special students got to do that. Only special students. I have yet to have that privilege. <laughs> However, I did make friends with a custodian. And the custodian would collect all of the erasers periodically from the school, put them on his cart, and then take them to the boiler room. And then he had a vacuum there that the brother here knows. You just push the eraser over the vacuum surface, and it takes all the chalk dust away. Okay, now, like the teacher never let me wash the blackboard. Apparently it was dangerous for me to get that close to water and a rag. But nonetheless, the custodian was happy for me to share his journey because that meant he didn't have to do it. Okay, I didn't know that his, was his game, but the, it worked for me because it was interesting. Uh, and then periodically they would come and they too would bring their rag and they would wash the whole board and then they would take another rag and clean all the dust that had gathered at the little counter here where the erasers and the chalk were placed. You didn't mess with the teacher's chalk. That was an invitation to difficulty for you. Now, in this day of the whiteboard, which is new, uh, there's something true about it. You see, do you remember these little magic markers? We used to call them magic markers. Uh, the... Um, Sanford people call them Sharpies, okay? And the thing about this particular Sharpie is that it has a fine point and it's a permanent marker. Okay, the one thing you would not do on a whiteboard is use a Sharpie. So I'm gonna take that temptation away from me altogether. And you would use special pens that were erasable. So you could take... A, something on the blackboard and you could then erase it. Now I'm going to do something now. Oh, wisdom. In the first chapter of James, 
And you need to remember that when James was writing, he was writing to the Jews who were part of the dispersion within the early church. They were part of the diaspora, the people who were pushed out of the uh, Jerusalem area around the world. And so they had scattered, taking the gospel with them, taking their trust in Christ with them. And so James thought it wise to send them a letter uh, that would help them in wherever they were in their dispersion for wherever they were. They needed to know these things. Now, uh, this is what was very true in their life. They would take God's word with them wherever they went. It would be a part of them. And how would it come to them? They knew uh, the teachings of the Old Testament. They knew the teachings of the Pentateuch. They knew Torah. They knew the prophets. They knew these great stories. They also knew about Jesus Christ. They also knew about the Messiah having come to be for this world a savior. And so they would take that word with them wherever they went. They were always going to be Christian people. And so that's how the word of God was present within their life. But they always had decisions. This should be an E. There you go. Okay, now let me tell you. In James's letter, he talked to them about the wisdom of God. And I've always had this simple illustration in my mind about what wisdom actually is. You have life situations. You have decisions in life that you need to make, circumstances that are a part of your journey. And then you go to God's word and you find from God's word direction about how to respond to those life issues. And you know what that's called? That's called wisdom. We need wisdom in our life. And that's how you bring the wisdom of God into your life. You take your decisions about life, you take them to the word of God, and your conclusions become the wisdom that God gives you about how to live your life in ways that bring honor and praise to him. That's the value of wisdom. And that's what James was talking about uh, to those Christians in the dispersion. And now we're going to do something magical. Have y'all got this in your mind now, in your memory? Is it burned deep in your memory? I hope so, because it's going to be gone. I like this eraser better. That's the wonderful thing about a whiteboard. It's gone. You can just take it off and whatever you've written down is just gone. It just wipes off. Now, if you had done that with the magic marker, <laughs> I'd have ruined that board and Windsor would have sent me a bill. <laughs> now, the interesting thing about James writing in this particular portion, which I'm going to have a long discussion with Brother Ken about, about why you give this occasional preacher a tough passage to preach without a context and without an easy slide, like the few verses following this passage. But anyhow, what James is saying to the church in the dispersion, those who were scattered folk. He says, listen, I want you to understand not many of you should become teachers. Teaching is a very high calling in the uh, church and in the, the Jewish 
family, very high, full of esteem, full of reputation. Don't many of you aspire to become teachers for two reasons. Number one, you're going to be evaluated on what you taught. Some of you out there in your teaching experience, some of you might not be able to understand the fullness of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And you're confusing. That's bad for a teacher to be confusing. When you want people to walk out the door saying, I know more than I knew before I came into the room. And it makes sense. That's what you want. But some teachers don't have that gift. And they ought not be teachers. And then secondly, some of the people who were teachers really didn't have a testimony in their life. Uh, they were scoundrels, quite frankly. That's the way you describe them. Uh, the, what they taught, they didn't do. You know, what you do is so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. That's the dangers that were present there. So that's why James very quickly said, not many of you should come under the teaching authority. It's a tough place to be. You don't want to be there if you haven't got what it takes and what you know and how you live. You'll bring disrespect upon the church and even you'll bring disrespect upon yourself. And then James shifts gears. And this is why I said the passage was just, okay, Ken, let's talk. Uh, shifts gears very quickly. Then he talks about this experience of people going into life and having a difficult time with their tongue. Let me read this that we've begun to understand today. My brethren, not Lynn, not. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. And if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Now, what James is getting into, into this text that's before us, he's going to become very, very practical. He's going to draw illustrations from the life that all of those folk knew. He talks about the bridle. Indeed, we put bridles or, or bits into the horse's mouth that make, us, make them obey us, and we can turn their whole body. And look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. And this is where he gets really personal. Even so... The tongue is a little member and it boasts great things. See how great a forest, a little fire kindles, just takes a spark. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among the members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless God and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the very similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water 
and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or grapevine bear figs? No, springs yield, no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. What James is addressing to the church there, it would appear to me in my reading and reflecting on this passage, is that James is talking about uh, loose lips sink ships, loose lips hurt people. And what he's attempting to say here is that it's very, very important that you recognize the power of words. Very, very important. Don't underestimate the power of your words. He's, then he gives illustrations from life about control. The bridle that goes into the horse's mouth makes the horse go where you want it to go. The rudder on the ship, a little piece of wood compared to the size of the ship, but it directs the course of the ship's movement. These were illustrations that were very much a part of the world that the people who would be the first readers understood. And then he talked about the power of that little spark, just a little flick of flint that you hit so you could start the little kitchen fire. If it gets out of hand, what will it do? It'll burn your house down. What will it do? It will burn an entire forest down. I heard this week on the radio that the uh, Pacific Gas and Light Company out in California, they are twice bankrupt. Why is that so? Because they, as a company, did not manage their equipment to the point where it would not cause forest fires in California and burn huge tracts of land and destroy homes and to the loss of life. Twice in bankruptcy because a little spark from a failed piece of equipment was tender out in the forests of California. We know this to be the truth. Now, he also, before he finishes this treatment of the tongue with these very natural illustrations, he talks about what I characterize in my notes as the messy mouth. You know, the messy mouth that on one hand, in public settings, is the source of the praise of God. But privately, they are destroyers of other people. On the one hand, they bless God, and then they sometimes raise curses against other people. They destroy other people with their mouth. And James, very curtly, in some translations, he, the translations uh, says, very politely in, in the revised King James, the brothers, this ought not be so. And in other translations, they say, stop it. <coughs> kind of hard to miss that. Now, this is when I've said, okay, have you got anything more to help me, James, to understand how this passage comes into uh, everyday life? Because, you know, as a Hebrew, he would be writing about the very practical things of life. He, would, he wouldn't be like the Greeks who were very heady. The Greeks were full of philosophy and words up here. When the Jewish writers would take up pen, they would write about things that were a part of life, 
They were talking about the things that people could see and touch and make their point that way. And this is what James is trying to do in his letter. And so I got to think, and let me look at the whole book, I said to myself. I've got this difficulty about the tongue. I understand, James, what you're saying very clearly. I understand how it is that the tongue can get you in trouble. The tongue, if you use it wrongly, can reveal a great deal of difficulty in your own life. So I went back to the first chapter of James, where James is also speaking about the tongue. He, in the first chapter, he makes reference almost in passing about the tongue, thinking full well, I'm going to come to this later. I'm going to get down to this a little later, which is what he's done in today's passage. But he talks this way about uh, the ways in which we can control our tongues. He says we should be people who are what? Quick to listen. We should be people who are slow to speak. And we are people who should not, out of anger, relate to other people. Don't let your anger destroy another person. And why is this so? Because we are the people whom God has called to himself in Jesus Christ. We are the people in whose heart he has put this message. Jesus makes a difference every day. Now, He's speaking about how it is we can do what, how we can begin to exercise the control that God can give us. By his Holy Spirit, he can help us be people who are careful with our words. Slow to speak, quick to listen, and do not let your anger destroy. Now, one of the things that we've learned today about this experience of building relationships is the importance of two words in, in difficult times. There is the word aggression. Aggression, which is actually a response of words that hurts another person, that destroys another person, puts them down and might even lift you up because you'll feel good about what you've said. That's called aggression. We, we know what this is like. We've, we've been to recipients of aggressive language. And then there is that which is a response to aggression, which is called uh, the experience of understanding how it is that I best understand what I should do. I should be assertive, not aggressive in response to aggression, but assertive, which is basically saying in the reality of my experience, how I feel about what you said, how I feel about the way you're talking to me. That's the difference between aggression and assertiveness. Assertiveness tells a person, this is how I feel about what you've said. I'm not with anger, not with destructive words, but with words that express what you say does to me. And I don't like it. I'm not comfortable. And in fact, I don't accept that. But you say it in a way that helps the person to understand the power of their negative words on you. Now, I'm going to give a little personal example of how this comes out in even us studied people. 
Yesterday in the pool, my wife and I were just bouncing around in the wonderful pool uh, on our float devices. And she began to tell me the story about this idea she had about planting things in the yard in a, in a box. And before she could finish what she was going to say, my response was, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And so I was told very quickly, assertively, please let me finish what I'm saying. Please let me say what I'd like to say about what my thoughts were. Okay. To which I said, you're absolutely right. I beg your pardon. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Now, please tell me what you're thinking about. She did. And I then said, we're not going to do that. <laughs> now, and, and it was a good idea. You know, it's an idea. Idea. Okay, what we've discovered being you know, northeastern transplants into Florida, thinking it's a wonderful growing environment. Well, for one thing, you have to buy your own dirt. <laughs> then you have to find a place to put the dirt. And then you have to buy the plants. And then you have to put the poison around the plants to keep the insects from eating what might grow. And we did that because we were new to Florida and we were excited about this experience. And so we had all these planters with tomatoes and green peppers and all this sort of stuff that you want to grow because actually it's, you know, it's the garden. Florida's a garden state. Wow, gee, it's amazing. Uh, however, uh, the bugs got it. I remember that the last straw of this being a farmer in our yard was a beautiful tomato about this big just this big and it was you know how tomatoes on the vine they start to turn and you don't want them to stay on too long because then they'll get soft and they won't be sweet they won't be right so I said this one I found it in the yard and it's going to be right this afternoon this afternoon I said and I put poison on it to keep the bugs off of it when I went back that afternoon to get it you know what I found a worm inside the one tomato that I thought we were going to enjoy and have. And I went back into the house and I told Thelma, my wife, I said, darling, it's over. This, this growing thing just doesn't work. <laughs> we could go to the Publix and buy a tomato. We can go to the farmer's market and buy tomatoes. And even though they may cost a little more, but when you consider all that we've paid and all that we've done and all the hopes we had, it doesn't mean a thing. We're going to go to Publix <laughs> or Walmart or any place to get our vegetables now. That was in the back of my mind. So, uh, But I was wrong. I should have let my lovely wife finish what she was going to say. And then we could explain how it is that this really isn't a project for us to undertake. Because it just doesn't really work. But we grow herbs. We've got a beautiful herb box and we, we did tremendous with herbs last year. They, somehow or another, they just grew beautifully. Uh, I don't think bugs like herbs. You know, <laughs> I don't think they care for them much. But anyway, what James is saying is it's just very important for us to be careful with our words. He gave those experiences of the bridle in the horse's mouth, of the rudder, and the Tremendous damage that can be done by something so small as a spark. Now, come back to my opening illustrations. This Sharpie could have ruined this board 
permanently. And Ashley would have said, you're going to have to replace that <laughs> because management is going to hold me responsible and I didn't do it. So anyway, black markers, that's like those words you throw out there. You can't yeah, take them back. So James is saying, be careful with the words you choose. Be careful with the way in which you treat other people. They are precious. They are ones for whom Christ died. They are ones for whom God has a great desire and plan. Build them up. Do not tear them down. That's what, that was his word uh, in the passage. And I'm grateful that Brother Ken gave me that passage because I needed it when yesterday's mess came about. So preachers, sometimes uh, the lessons come home. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I've learned that. And I trust that I will try to be careful with words. Because the people with whom you share words are precious to God. And if they're precious to him, they can be precious to us. May God give us grace in these days to remember the great lesson, Jesus makes a difference. Amen, amen and amen. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.